Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there, and welcome to the Adoption Chronicles, your podcast where you hear everyday people tell their stories of adoption. Today, we're lucky enough to be talking with self-published author Julia Kaylock, and she's uh, telling us all about her life in poetry in her book, and we'll start off proceedings with a beautiful poem that's written by Julia, Trying to Fit In, Square Peg, Round Hole. These bones, this body, this mind, not made to order. I was already formed in my mother's womb, but you had ideas of your perfect child, so you broke that mould and gave me a new shell. It didn't fit very well, but I was bundled and sold. A surprise package, all smile. Very beautiful words there, Julia, uh, and welcome to the Adoption Chronicles. Thanks, Nick, and thanks for having me. Um and thank you for reading those lines because I haven't actually heard anybody else read any of the poems in my book yet. So right. that was very special. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, we will get back to your poetry later on mm-hmm. in the podcast, but I think it's important that we start our adoption stories uh, reasonably chronologically, although your the start of your uh, adoption nearly starts midlife, I believe. Well, it does. Um, it's funny because um, I sort of have this sort of boundary um, which I sort of hover backwards and forwards between, which is the age of 27. Yep. When when I uh, made the discovery accidentally. Accidentally. Um, nobody told me. I found out um, on my own. Yep. Uh and um, I was adopted, and I found, and of course, that led to a cascading effect. Yeah. Um, so, um, 27 sort of like my rebirthing. Yeah, age, of course. I so, I guess we might just pause at that particular moment. So, you're living your life as per normal, everything's rosy, you, you, yep. I, I, I guess. Um, and then you found out that you were adopted. How did you? find that out well a a very strange way actually i was doing of all things an astrology course and my teacher um wanted to have our um time but i asked my mother what time i was born and she was very evasive Mm. my adoptive mother that Mm -hmm. is of course yep um she was very evasive couldn't quite remember gave me and gave me a number and i went back next or gave me a, a time and i went back to the class next week said I couldn't get an exact time. And the teacher actually just looked at me and said, are you adopted? Yeah, right. And, and I went, uh, no. 
why are you asking that? And she said, oh, and she said, which I've since found is not quite true, but all mothers remember the time of their children's birth. Yeah. Um, so that was enough to send me on a bit of a mission. So mm. I contacted the hospital where I was born in New South Wales yep. and um, asked for information about my birth. And they sent me a letter back a couple of weeks later. It was snail mail then, yep. um, saying that there was no record of my birth at that hospital. Wow. And so I went, okay, I'm going to ring the hospital. So I rang the hospital and said, just simply, I said, oh, what if I told you I was adopted? Uh-huh. And the lady on the other end of the phone said, oh, oh, of course, if you're adopted, your records will be in another section. Uh-huh. Is that so, the penny dropped moment? <laughs> Is that when So anyway, dropped? so she said yeah. she would find um, yep. the record. Yep. Which she duly did. An hour later, she's on the phone to me again saying, I've found your records. Wow. And I said, oh, okay, so can I just confirm you found my records in the adoption section? And she said, yes, I did. As soon as you told me you were adopted, I knew where to look. Right. Wow. How did you receive that information? How did you feel about that? Um, devastated. Yeah. Um, because I was sort of expecting it by that time because, you know, things were sort of adding up. But yep. I was in an open plan office. I was working across from, you know, I had four other people around me. Yeah. Um, and I just melted. And um, the person opposite me sort of just looked at me like, what's going on? Mm. And um, I got off the phone and uh, I said, I just found out I'm adopted. Wow. And she came around and gave me a big hug and we had a few tears together and, yeah, um, yeah that was the start of the, the new journey. Yeah, so I guess what happened next? How did you, did you go back and have a conversation with your parents? Yeah, well, look, it took me a couple of days. I was in shock. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I... My parents, I just suppose I need to say at this point, my adoptive family weren't bad people. They yep. weren't my people. Um, but they were obviously, they did keep a lot of things from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was very conflicted. Um, I was. I went through things of anger, grief, you know, hate, all the, all the emotions, all the strong emotions came yep. out. Yep. And um, my husband actually said to me, um, at the time, he said, you're going to have to talk to your parents. You're going to mm. have to do this. And I said, yeah, I know. So I rang, um, I rang at night after dinner and um, had a little bit of a conversation. And I said, look, I'm beating around the bush here. I said, I found out something about myself. And my mother said to me, oh, what do you mean? And I said, well, I think you know yeah. what I found out about and uh, she said, oh, she said, well, how did you find out? Wow. And I said, well, the hospital told me. And she said, the hospital shouldn't have told you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I said, well, they did. Yeah. Um, I know. Um, that's done. Um, and then she found it very difficult um, to speak to me, yep. obviously having kept it a secret. Mm. Um, Sounds for, like she was always going to keep that secret. Yes, they were never going to tell me. That was they told me that. Yep. Um, my father, my adoptive father, said when they brought me home, um, she will never know. Right. And he's a very stubborn man, yeah, and whatever okay. he decided at a point in time, he did, did not change his mind. Right. I guess um, uh, from from an outsider's perspective, looking in. I guess they wanted to treat you as naturally, like as their own child, I guess. And that was their way of doing it. Is that an explanation that they've used or? Well, they didn't ever say that particularly. They did say other things, which will be helpful if I explain. But um, yeah. Uh, it wasn't, I don't think they knew what they were getting themselves in for. Right, right. Um, 
as much as I, you know, they knew nothing about me. They knew nothing about my background. They didn't really want to know a lot, but um, they had some basic details. Right. Um, they told me that um, my mother particularly wanted another child. We, I had an older brother who was a natural child of theirs, who was yep. 11 and a half years older than me. Right. Still was 11 and a half years older than me. Um, and they tried to have other children but couldn't. Um, she had many miscarriages, many painful um, periods of time, and she particularly wanted a girl. Um, she wanted to, um, yeah, she wanted to have a little girl, and so they were offered boys uh, several times, and they knocked them back. And um, they eventually were told that I was available, and they could come and take me on approval. Right. For three months, I could ha- they could hand me back if they didn't like me. Right. That was a little bit confronting. Yeah, yeah. So, I get would well, that that would have been a systematic type thing, um, potentially. Or yes. Is that something? No, they wouldn't have said that. I assume. Well, the parent they they had the opportunity. No, I think it was because it was a state um, organized um, adoption. Yeah. Probably every family had that, but yeah. um, but that but the fact that they told me that um that they thought that was important. I mean, they didn't say we decided to keep you because, you know, we thought you were wonderful. Yeah. They just said that was all they said. So um, right. it sort of left, that's what I could prove from, from that, that they were happy enough at the time. Yeah. But there was still a lot not said. <laughs> yeah. So we you adopted as a, a, a brand new baby? Yes, I was three weeks old. Right. Okay. And, yeah, so growing up, everything's normal. Um, you wouldn't have had any thoughts about it because you didn't know. No. Um, so this is where the retrospective comes in because yeah. um, looking back, I can see the signs. There were some signs. Yep. Um, like I had to do a science project in um, in a third form high school, yep. which is year nine now, I think. Um, yep. And... Um, we had to talk about our family's blood types. Oh, okay. And um, the teacher, I, couldn't, I went home and asked my mother, you know, what their blood types were. I've, everything, mum was always, always the one that sort of answered those questions. Yeah. Um, and she said, oh, we don't know. We don't know what blood types we are, which was also a lie because she'd had so many miscarriages, of course, what mm. her blood type. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went back to my, my science class without my homework done. Right. And the teacher actually said to me at the time, are you adopted? Of course, really? that wasn't anywhere near my, my scope. Yeah. At 14, 15. So I just said no and I left it. Yeah. Um, there was the, another situation where I was getting my learner's permit um, and um, I needed my birth certificate and my mother said, oh, I'll organise that for you. And uh, it didn't come for like for a few months. I was waiting to, you know, because I wanted to learn to drive. And I asked her again and eventually it arrived. Um, it was just a small extract of birth. It was just, um, it wasn't really a full birth certificate. So right. So that I needed to be able to go, you know, and um, apply for my permit. Right. Okay. So I guess by the time the, when you were 27, you st- would have started to think and it all started to add up as well. Yeah, the pennies started to drop for sure. Yeah. And um, and I found out pretty quickly that everybody um, in my family, because I was one of the youngest cousins, if you like. My mother was one of seven, my father was one of three. Yep. And because I was born, you know, they were both 35 when I was when I came to them. Yeah. Um, most of my cousins were older. I only had one cousin that was like a little bit younger than me. Right. Everybody in the family knew. Right. Nobody had breathed a word. Wow. Um, everybody in our church group knew. Like we went to um, a fairly um, tight run, you know, tightly community church. Yep. Everybody in the church knew. Wow. So, yeah, it doesn't make you feel very comfortable. <laughs> no, I guess you'd be get information. At, yeah, you'd, you'd have a different perspective on all of those people as well um i I guess you know yes yeah yeah crazy stuff i'm i'm not yeah i i i think that's sort of one of was one of the 
That's the second shock, if you like. <laughs> yeah, because I guess you, you would have found out and then it's your news to tell and then you start to say, hey, this is what's happened. And then mm. the people that you would tell would be the closest people to you and they go, oh, yeah, we knew. That would be a yeah, exactly. shock. We've always known that. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So I guess the, the next part of the story is, yeah, the, the journey after that. So you started to yeah. have those conversations with your cousins, uncles, aunties and your church group. Uh, what what was – how did it unfold well, after that? Well, I – everybody – I mean, nobody thought it was a big deal. Right. Everybody thought, oh, yeah, but you're you're part of the family. You know, we, mm. we don't – you know, so I, I sort of ran aground on, on that. I didn't get any comfort – you know, any extra comfort from it. I mean, the, uh, yes, I was accepted, but at the same time, I felt that um, I understood why I was different, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I always had this sense of being different yep. and not quite fitting in. And so big family gatherings became quite difficult. Yeah. So because with, with I felt even more like an outsider. Yeah. Did you have different coloured hair to the rest of your extended family or were you um, a different body type or were there physical differences? Definitely different. Yeah, definitely different body type to my mother. My mother was very slender, always very, very slender, um, minute, and I was always, um, I've I've always carried weight, always. Um, And she used to really uh, try, you know, try, I, I was always on slimming things. I was always on. You know, I was, when I look back, when I was a teenager, when I, even in my 20s, I wasn't fat. I was just, you know, bigger than she was. Yeah. But she was always, um, yeah, on at me to um, reduce, you know, to eat. I had to eat particular foods and not, you know, not, you know, oh, it, was, it, was, it was painful. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting um, that even now I look at photos of my adoptive dad and, I can see similarities between us. Where there's there is definitely um, a similarity in our looks, which yep. is quite bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yep. Now, it's amazing how how many people tell me that I look like my adoptive parents, and I just you just take it, but you know, um, like mm. it's, it's it's nice and all, but at the same time you're like, well, if only you knew, and, and I don't really bother, but. Um, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just me, I suppose. Yeah. So, so the thing I suppose I just like to say now is that yep. everybody that um, I, I have a everybody that knows the family, whatever group, the relations, the groups, um, has taken a lot of pain to tell me how much I was loved. Mm-hmm. Um, as if you know you were loved. You 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 have no right to complain. You have no right to make a scene because, you know, I, I did, I mean, I didn't make a scene, but, you yeah. know, I was, I was outspoken because I wanted the truth. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of people, people even who I barely knew would come up to me at gatherings or something and tell me, um, oh, you were loved. Yeah. Your parents love you so much. Yeah. And I've always found that difficult to deal with because I thought, well, that's a given. I understand what love is and I know. Yeah. I know they're kind people, and I know that did their best for me. But it doesn't sort of cut it when you're comparing it against secrets and lies about adoption. Yeah, no, I I don't think they kept it a secret out of malice. However, no, um, it was yeah clearly the wrong thing to do. Yes, I mean yeah, and and we all know we've all been there and know why these things happen and yeah. why they happened in time. I mean, I was born in 1955. Yep. It was um, definitely, you know, taboo to talk about adoption and, and, and illegitimacy. Mm. Um, I, I appreciate that at the time. I can I can appreciate that on one hand, but it doesn't help me. No, that's right. It doesn't that doesn't change the trauma that it impacted on me. And uh, and I can see now, having had lots of counselling, as most adoptees have, um, that uh, the trauma began at zero. You know, um, and that 
played out over the course of my life. Yeah. Have you found or come in contact with your birth parents or family? Yeah. Okay. So years because I'm 67 now um the next 40 years have been a journey of ongoing discovery let's say yeah um discovery and disappointment (laughs) because um I at 27 I found out um I was adopted at 29 I had my first daughter and at 31 I had my second daughter I didn't know that I was dealing with unprocessed trauma at the time which I think is I had on my sister yep She's currently not speaking to me. Um, she's got a lot of mental health issues and I actually did apologise to her last year. Um, I said I had no idea when I gave birth to you that I was dealing with unprocessed trauma. Um, but, um, you, know, I, I, you know, like all parents, I think I did the best job I could do and, I mean, yeah. I, I, I feel like I, you know, um, I certainly didn't make a lot of the same mistakes that um, had been thrusted on me um but um and they were my own own children which i you know had that bond with but at 33 um two years later um i'd given up on um the family and community (laughs) trying to get any support from them um i got an urgent desire to um find my birth mother right so I contacted the hospital again and a lovely social worker um, there um, spoke to me at length and um, explained to me that she couldn't tell me any more information because at that stage we didn't have the um, information that was available later. This is, I'm talking about the late 80s yep. um, in New South Wales. But <laughs> she... And I, I don't think I'll get her into trouble now. It's quite a while since yeah. then. But she said, I'm going to say, I'm going to spell something. I'll only say it once. <laughs> Have you got a pen? Yeah, right. And she she started spelling my mother's name. Right. So I was scribbled that down. Name is Kaylock, the name I have assumed. Yeah, okay. Um. Um. And I um, immediately went to, as I said, we're talking pre-technology here. Yeah. Um, I went to the local library and looked up every yellow pages around Australia and looked up all the K-Logs, wrote them all down, all their numbers, then came home, used my home phone to start calling them. Wow. And um, I hit pay dirt on about the um, third call. Really? Yes. Um, I'm not my mother. Um, but a cousin who lived in Melbourne at the time. Yeah. Who have who now I was told I was told if you're trying to trace a birth mother, do not say you're looking for your mother. Yeah. So I told him I was looking for a friend of my mother's. Um, and um was wondering if um there was a lady called Helen Kaylock in their family. And my cousin said to me um, who I didn't know was my cousin then, but it did soon. He said, yes, um, there, there is a Helen Kaylock in, in our family. Unfortunately, she passed away some years ago. Oh, okay. So she died when I was 16. Right. Wow. Before, been... before I had any real concept. <laughs> mm, indeed. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I guess the first part of being disappointed. That would have been hard to take too, I guess. It was another, yeah, it was another pretty big shock. I had, I remember a neighbour, my neighbour, who um, was very close, had kids the same age, she was, she was there. Right. Um, and she, she, yeah, she helped me through that. Um, that was awful. Um, another, another blow, if you like. Mm. Um, but out of that came a wonderful um, new relationship with the Kalock family. Nice. I had so many um, warm welcomes. I had people come and visit, and they weren't just curious. They were actually, and I actually felt, my goodness, these these are people like me. Yeah. <laughs> they were open. They were honest. I could trust them. You know, they uh, they gave me gifts. One gave me a lovely photo of my mum in her um, graduating nurse um, photo, and, nice. and another one gave me a tablecloth that she'd 
made for them for their engagement and um i treasure those things so yeah, much absolutely so i still have ongoing um connections with them to this day and it's a huge family so i'm still finding more of them right so i guess um how did you meet first did you meet um cousins and that first or yeah um my no um siblings uh right. sorry well yes how do I, no, her siblings, sorry. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so um, mum, the first one I met was mum's younger brother. He was 10 years younger, so he had no idea I, was, I existed. Right. Um, there were a couple of older siblings who um, did know, but um, they weren't well. Um, right. But other cousin, other, yeah, my mother's, she was one of nine children, so... Um, right. They all um, approached me in one way or the other. Some were just by phone. Some were, some came to visit. Some came to Melbourne for some reason, and I met them in the city. You know, so yep. um, it was nice, and and yeah, people were just they were just very, very nice. And um, <laughs> nice isn't the word, you know, yeah. <laughs> but but it just felt comfortable. Yeah, being with them. Yeah, and that's important. Yeah. And they told me lots of, you know, told me little snippets about her and her life and how she was. And, and you know, it, it, it's amazing the similarities in the way we parent, the way we, you know, go about life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she, people told me she was very forthright. She didn't hold back, you know, which was very unusual. She was a farmer's wife. Okay. Um, later, you know, she got married and had more children, of course. And um, she, but, the, you know, people remembered that she didn't, she wasn't like, the normal farmer's wife who just sort of said did whatever her husband said she she made you know her place in the family and um you know so and i thought well that's me yeah. <laughs> i told that guy that absolutely um did you find out the story of your adoption why she needed to give you up no um she was 24 she wasn't young yep um so i think and she was a nurse uh, and um, so I think she knew which way the world worked yeah. um, by then, hopefully. Yep. Yep. Um, although she was a country girl, it wasn't a country hospital. So I can't, I can only presume nobody has been able to enlighten me as to why she gave me up, but I'm pretty sure it was because she wouldn't have been able to support me. Yep. She would have had to give up work. Um, she had no support. Her family sent her away to Sydney. She was in the Victor in the New South Wales country um, uh, when she fell pregnant, but she um, was sent to uh, live in a boarding house for pregnant women. Right. In Sydney, um, at um, I think about five or six months. Right. Even her friend, who I spoke to, his friend from the town um, before she passed, and she um, she told me she had really no idea. Um, she thought Helen had gone to just gone changed her work, so oh. she didn't even know she was one of her best friends, and she didn't know okay. that she was pregnant. So it was a big secret from yeah. that end too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then and she, you know, I asked her who she thought my father might be, and she said, "Well, there used to be a, a man come on a motorbike and pick her up from the hospital." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was him or maybe it was a doctor she was seeing, a doctor at one stage, you know, but no real clues. Right. Both of those were red herrings, by the way, as I found out later. Okay, (laughs) right. So Um, so how did did that unfold? Okay, so so I've got to fast forward a little bit um, from that um, because, um, you know, Obviously, um, just to allude to my book, I, mean, yep. I, I started writing poetry. I've been writing poetry all my life, but I started writing poetry about my feelings about my adoption and everything um, after 27. So I've got, I had quite a lot of poems um, yeah. already for that book. Yep. But, I, um, but I didn't, I was involved, I was busy <laughs> for a long time. I, I, I could say I was distracting myself, might have been a better yep. word for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was working. Um, I was working uh, sometimes two jobs. Um, my choice, not financial, but just my choice. I was developing a career. Yep. I was um, bringing up two children. Um, I was involved in 
and my own community stuff. And um, I just, yeah, was busy. I just got really busy. Mm-hmm. So um, the next thing that happened um, of significance in terms of my adoption was um, in 2012. So we're fast forwarding a fair way. Yeah. Um, I um, had a meeting with a counsellor at the time and it wasn't about adoption. It was nothing to do with adoption. Right. It was something completely different. Um, but he was very astute and he was the first person that looked at me and said to me, do you know you have complex PTSD? Right. I said, no, what is that? And he explained it to me and about childhood trauma. Yep. And I said, has this got something to do with me being adopted? And he said, well, possibly. Um, let's explore that. And we explored that a bit. And um, he put me on to some information. Um, he's brilliant because most of the psychologists and counsellors that I'd seen had no concept that adoption was ever an issue. Yeah. So I didn't even raise it with him, but he was astute enough to actually be able to take it a little bit further. So um, I found Paul Sunderland's um, podcast or um, interview, whatever it was, um, mm-hmm. maybe a TED, TED talk, I can't remember now, um, which was about trauma, um, childhood trauma and and uh, relatable to adoption. And I went, that set me off on another journey and... It was a really difficult journey. This is that was really difficult. The last ten years have been incredibly difficult yep. for me um, because I've relived all that trauma. Right. Um, I've um, I wrote a book about it. Yeah. <laughs> I um, have suffered um, physical. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer in two thousand nineteen. Right. Um, and um, I'm putting that down largely to the yeah, the, the trauma, um, you know, no one will ever know. But yeah. um, but I've read a lot about it um, and there's a lot of adoptees that end up with a cancer diagnosis. So Wow. Um, yeah, I was in, I, I had, I lost, I, I was in remission. Now it's come back, but maybe it's gone again. We're just working all that out. Again. Right. Well, fingers crossed <laughs> so, it's gone into remission. That's a bit of a sideline at the minute, but yeah. um uh, but in that, but in that time, in my discovery, I, I did the DNA um, ancestry yep. uh, thing in I think around 2016, 17, and um, lo and behold, um, a couple of years ago, this person pops up on my feed that I on my ancestry feed. There's a close relative, I think they say first cousin. Okay. Um, but anyway, it turns out he's my half-brother who was born to Helen Kalock two years after me, um, also before she was married and right. also adopted. Okay. Right. Were you sitting down so when you found that out? I've connected. Sorry? Were you sitting down when you found that out? Uh, well, yes, I was because I was in front of my laptop. <laughs> we were emailing each other. Right. He knew more about me than I knew about him. He was able to tell me. He's, he he. He'd actually um, found out about me because by then, you know, most information was available, mm-hmm. and um, he knew my the name that I was born. Well, the name, sorry, the name on my birth certificate, my fudged birth certificate. Yep. Um, he knew that he knew a lot about me um, and my family, but that wasn't of interest to him at the time because his interest was health. He was interested in finding out whether there was. Um, a diabetes in the family, right. basically, because he was um, suffering from diabetes, and um, he's so he wasn't he wasn't that concerned about finding out about um, our mother. Although you know he was he he has been interested in what I've told him. I knew a lot more about her. Um, right. So um, yeah, we we've connected. I've been to Sydney and met him a couple of years ago, just before COVID. Yep. And we had a lovely day together, and he's he's really he's really nice, and and we have a nice relationship, distant, but you know, yeah, um, yeah. but we but we chat, and and that's lovely too. Very much so. So that was um, that was one discovery. Yep. And then um, a bit later, I came, I'd been um, 
with the help of Diane Carp, actually, from Adopt in Australia, who's an amazing woman. Yep. Um, she helped me find my father because by that stage I've got, well, the only person I haven't found is my father. Yeah. And I found a lady um, on on the um, on Ancestry um, who looked to be on my father's side, Diane believed so. Anyway, I messaged her, um, heard nothing for a year. Right. And thought, oh, that's a dead duck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, um, anyway, so a year later I thought, oh, damn it, just try again. So I sent another email, um, through the ancestry and she responded almost instantly and said, oh, I'm so terribly sorry. She said, I missed your first email. Oh dear. And we, and so anyway, that led to amazing things. Um, I now know who my father is thanks to her father. She's, she turns out this lady is my niece okay and her father is my half brother right and um he and another half brother agreed to do the um testing which confirmed um that uh, he who my father is so i know now the identity of my real father right unfortunately he died in his 40s so i not, <sighs> i didn't get to meet him either oh bugger <laughs> Yeah, he was one of the first in the family to go. <laughs> right. Wow. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's sort of like doors sort of half open for me and then they lock. One of the constant thoughts that I think go through our collective minds is the what-if scenario. And I guess what if, if, if your what-if played out that you were raised by your birth parents, they both passed on very very early they did yes my mother was 40 and my father was 44 i think yeah so Mm. yeah you would have been in your yeah teenage years when they both when they both passed on that would have been traumatic as well yes well in retrospect it was yes (laughs) yeah so Mm. yeah you've um you've done well um in dealing with the trauma I, I, it's by the sounds, at least. Um, and so obviously your story doesn't end there. Um, what, what was no, the, it's still going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, how, what was the next phase or what was the next, how did that start to unroll too? Well, unfortunately, I mean, I was lined up to see um, a lot more relatives on my father's and my mother's side in 2020 because yep. 2019 I was undergoing chemo pretty right. much the whole year. Yep. Um, so 2020 I had a plan. <laughs> right. And relatives to visit all over the place. Yep. Um, but that didn't happen because of our lovely situation. Yes. Um, and then 21 went past um, and now it's 22 and I'm, um, yeah, looking at, um, yeah, just looking at a plan again now right. um, to, to um, touch base with um, some of those relatives who, you know, want to see me and I want to see them. And, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's going to happen hopefully soon. Yeah, absolutely. And now that the worldwide pandemic is slowly starting to, um, I guess, drift into the background somewhat. Um, things are getting a lot more closer to normal than what they have been for a while. So that'll be uh, an, an an opportunity for meeting new and, um, I, I guess, yeah, interesting people in your uh, bloodline, in your, your family. Yeah, look, it's 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 really it's 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 really hard to describe because it's just nice to hear about their lives. It's nice to hear about you know their stories. Um, yeah, it it's a very comforting feeling. Um, and and even though I wasn't part of their life, I feel like I was. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that's just wishful thinking, but I genuinely feel that you know they feel that I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Yeah, it's a unique situation, isn't it? It is. It's it's very unique, and and I, I suppose um, what it, the last ten years have taught me because it sounds. I mean, a lot of it sounds a bit negative in terms of you know the um, 
all the uncovering of of all the 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 stuff yeah <laughs> um is that be i mean i i can't say that i regret being i mean i i mean certainly adoption has not been a dream ride for me mm-hmm. um and separation has not been a dream ride um but it's but i've learned a lot about myself yeah as well I've learned that I'm resilient. I've learned that I um, will keep going, uh, that I will face a challenge head on. Yep. Um, I've learned that um, I have a lot, a lot of good qualities um, that I can uh, harness. Yep. And I have harnessed, and uh, you know, through my life, through my work, through my, through just being me, and um, I've been able to sort of pat myself on the back as well. And rightfully so. Had you've you've achieved something that millions of people dream about, and that is your self-published book of poems. Um, yes. Now, yeah. When I first saw that, I thought, "Wow, that's pretty cool that you're a published author." However, kudos to you that you self-published. That's even a higher. Um, Worthy of higher praise, I believe, because that in itself has to be a difficult process. So, I guess if you can tell us about about that journey as well, because that ties into everything we're talking about. Yes, yes. Well, um, I've had the idea of um, publishing. I, I, for some reason, I always wanted to self-publish. It felt right to me. Yep. Also, I thought poetry does not attract um, a lot of interest. I mean, there are publishers that just publish poetry, but mine is a bit, bit different because it's yeah. a memoir. Um, and also, you know, our new mainstream publishers would find it difficult to fit into their categories. Right. But um, originally I wasn't going to write poetry. I was going to write, pro- and I tried. I'm many, I have many failed attempts at writing my story, but every time I wrote it, it just didn't sound right. Right. It sounded, tri- it sounded contrived. It, it sounded childish, shall I say? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of the poetry in here is written from a child's perspective too, but but it sort of has more guts, I think. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so um, late in 2020, I made the decision to use the poems. I thought to myself, "What are you doing? You're trying to write something. You've already got yeah. hundreds of poems you've written. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just use those?" It's fair. Fair point, actually. Yeah. So, so then became the editing process, which um, you know I sent out. Uh, I, I did edit. Um, you know, I didn't send out hundreds of poems, but I did put um, a selection that I liked in the book, in a in a manuscript, and I sent it out to a number of friends, some writers, some not. Yep. Um, and asked for their feedback, and um, they gave me really honest feedback about what they thought should be in and what should what could go and. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that was really helpful because when you're working, you know, when you're self-publishing, you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need someone else to bounce things off. And so, I then had um, the fuel to to keep going and do a finer editing, but it was grueling because I was reliving all, you yeah. know, all those. Poems. Every time I read one, I was sort of reliving that moment when I wrote it. Yeah, was um, it therapeutic in any way in that? You were able to go back to the time when the trauma happened, but then because of your life experiences, able to either compartmentalise it or rationally file it away somewhere or, or, or work through it? Was it was it that way at all? I think that happened after I published, after I got the copies of the book in my hand. Right. Um I think while I was going through it, because then on top of the trauma of putting your poems in a book and yeah. exposing yourself to the world, um, I was going through the grueling editing, proofreading, mm. public learning how to publish, mm-hmm. um, which I was doing. Um, other people had I, I was published other people's books as well last year, not memoirs, but just other books um, to learn how to do the self-publishing process. So that. Was anxiety ridden as well? Yeah, absolutely. 
So, so, um, but I was determined to do it because I thought oh, you've got this far, you have yeah. to finish the job. Absolutely. Um, so it was difficult. It was a very difficult year. Um, but and I think it was after, and of course, sending it out to people for reviews and for, and, and I had a lot of adoptees and read it or read some of it and give me feedback mm-hmm. and positive feedback. Um, which was great, very helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was September, late September last year when it came, when the book came out, and and the book's called Child of the Clouds, a memoir in verse. And where yeah. can people buy it? Do they need to go? Okay, online? they can buy it um, online from yeah. Amazon. Um, you know, all the online so Booktopia, all of those. Um, yep. You can also order it through my website, which is litoriapress.com. Yep. Um, there's, um, you know, you people people have um, sent me a message saying they want to buy it. I think it's $25 through me. It might be cheaper through Amazon now because it's more than six months old. They tend to reduce them or Booktopia or all those other places. I think Barnes & Noble have had it too. And a lot of the... A lot of the um, uh, you know, online bookstores have it, but you can buy it direct from from me through um, my website. So, right, um, if people wanted to um, just send me a message and you know transfer money, I can send it out to them. Yep, and yeah, so but, I guess um, keep your eye on on these pages as well because you might get some uh, people contacting you through the Adoption Chronicles Facebook page. Oh yes. So I guess that could be another little avenue there for you. Hopefully, yep. if people want to get it, they can just um, yeah shoot shoot a message, and it can all happen. That would be great. Um, I've had a, I've had all the um, quite a number of adoption resource centres, park and yep. um, vanish in, in Victoria, buy it for, to keep in their libraries or, or for sale, and I've had a number of people who've read it and, and um, sent, taken the time to send me messages saying how much they got out of it. Yep. So cool. that's lovely. Yeah. And um, and I also am encouraging, um, I've been a writer for, for many years, um, uh, but I'm also encouraging other adoptees to write their stories. It's really important. These podcasts that you're doing are amazing and go a long way to, you know, promoting the, 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 um, the narrative, the new narrative. But, um, you know, it's also important that people feel they can write their stories. Yeah. And so I'm, I offer a mentoring service. I don't want to get over and because, you know, you can only do help so many people at a time. Absolutely, yeah. But if adoptees want to, you know, want to send me any, um, you know, or to talk about what they want to write, I'm always happy to talk to them. Cool. Because this is so important. Yeah, absolutely. It's um something that doesn't go away. That's hundred percent certain. And no matter how many similarities there are between our stories, there's always those differences that make us unique. Yeah. Yep. And interesting in our own way. Absolutely. I guess that um yeah, starts to get to a bit of a natural conclusion. Um, unless there's something else that we haven't covered. Oh look, there's some more, but I think we've covered enough for a podcast. Yeah, yep, no worries. So I guess um, um, with that, uh, and thank you for telling your story, um, there's many, many parts and points to it. Is there any, like if you're talking to adopted people now or even adopting adoptive parents or birth parents or anybody who's listening to this <laughs> podcast, have you got any advice that you would like to share? Just put down, don't be afraid to speak your truth because the truth is everything. Um, And if it hurt, sometimes people don't want to hurt their current adoptive parents because they've, you know, they love them and, you know, they've every right to, 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 you know, feel that way. But there's always ways to bring people around and don't wait, you know, so this is what I'm saying that part of speaking your truth is don't wait because it might be too late. Yeah. And and it's really important for people to deal with 
trauma to deal with unanswered questions you know it's our life it's our life that's on the line it's not no one else's this is our life so exactly yeah so do it (laughs) do it that's right no thank you very much for your time today julia and i think it's only fitting that we started with one of your poems i think it's um right that we finish with one actually this one's a little bit more uplifting (laughs) yes absolutely what if i'm not broken What if I did okay? What if, when I look back on my life, I find that doing it my way was my gift to me, a sign that I've always been free? Those chains I wore were heavy, sure, but forward is forward no matter how slow. I learned to fight, and that's all right, a survivor. I never gave up. I gave myself this ticket to ride with the flame of resilience by my side. Well, I got goosebumps you, reading that. Um, that was um, very beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah, I for got your a time. little bit of a tear when I heard you reading that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Julia. Thanks, Nick, so much for having me. It's been wonderful talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you again. That was Julia Kaylock with her adoption story, and we will be back. Uh, every week, every Sunday, we release a new episode. Um, if you have an adoption story that you'd like to tell, please let us know. Um, I'd love to talk to you and give you the opportunity to share your story. And on that note, I'll say bye for now and see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.